0: Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Shining Scholar Education podcast, where we talk about secondary English and language arts tips, strategies, and resources. We'll also share the ups and downs in the wonderful world of teaching. I'm your host, Charlie, and I'm a teacher-creator here with Shining Scholar Education. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back, listeners. Uh, In this episode, we'll be covering the five best, most engaging short stories for secondary English language arts. We hope that if you haven't read these stories, uh, that these will entice you enough to go read them. Check them out and let us know what you think. Number one, The Last Leaf by O. Henry. It's a touching story about self-sacrifice, a young female artist named Johnsy that believes she'll be dying from her pneumonia when the last leaf falls outside of her window. There's a branch with leaves there and she believes when that one goes, she's going as well. An old man named Mr. Behrman is another artist that lives in her building and he's always wanted to paint his masterpiece but never did. He would say that when he achieved that goal, they would all move away from that building. That was his dream. Johnsy's friend Sue asks Mr. Bearman to visit Johnsy to help lift her spirits. That night there was a terrible rainstorm, but the next day the leaf was still there. A few days pass and the doctor reveals that Johnsy will be fine, but he must attend to Mr. Bearman now, who now has pneumonia. The next day when Johnsy is well, Sue reveals that Mr. Bearman had passed away. They had found him in wet, cold clothes with some painting materials, including green and yellow paint. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. It turns out that he had become sick due to painting the leaf on the window for Johnsy. He had finally painted his masterpiece. Now, with this twist ending, O. Henry comes around beautifully to seal up that knot, to finally make it really tight that Mr. Bearman had never achieved his masterpiece. And voila, the opportunity presents itself while helping Johnsy. So he sacrificed himself to be able to help her. It's a great story. It'll bring a tear to your eye, honestly. Uh, the next story is The Stray by Cynthia Ryland. And it's about a little girl named Mamie that finds a stray dog, but her parents aren't too excited to keep the dog, especially her mom, who really reluctantly gives her table scraps to feed the dog. Mamie asks kindly if they could keep the dog, and they just keep saying, you know we can't afford it, you know we can't afford it. So after that, uh, the dad decides to take the dog to the pound. Mamie cries her eyes out, goes to bed without eating dinner. She wakes up a few hours later, super tired, still very sad. She goes to the kitchen to get a biscuit and some milk. And uh, the dad mentions something about, aren't you going to feed your dog? And she just kind of looks at him and, you know, surprise. And she says, didn't you take him to the pound? And he replies, yes, I did. But when I saw the conditions there and he mentioned something about 10 dogs being in a cage and that they kill them after a certain amount of days, he said that he didn't feel right leaving the dog there. And the story ends with the father asking, well, are you going to feed the dog or not? So the dad's a little gruff and the little girl ended up getting what she wanted. And the dad, um, he's not characterized super deeply. They don't really reveal a whole lot about the character development. But the short answer at the end, I'll be honest, uh, made me tear up. The fact that they found a stray dog, and uh, they were decided to keep it. I myself have rescued a little dog, ironically, on the way to school, and uh, she's been wonderful. And so, yeah, I'm a dog lover, and so if you have any dog lovers in your class or yourself, you'll, you'll tear up. It's a very, very touching uh, short story, maybe a page or two. The next story is called The Monkey's Paw by W. W. Jacobs, and it begins in the home of Mr. and Mrs. White, where Mrs. White is preparing dinner and Mr. White and their son Herbert are playing cards by the fire. They're waiting for their friend Sergeant Major Morris, a member of the British Army, to come over for dinner. He arrives, and later he reveals that he has a cursed monkey paw that he picked up in his travels to India. Uh, But he has suffered greatly in its wish-granting powers. So here from the first few paragraphs, he sets the stage for potential conflict. Morris proceeds to throw the monkey paw into the fire, where Mr. White quickly gets it out before it gets destroyed. Morris then tells him if he keeps that thing that he might as well be digging his own grave, which is a nice use of foreshadowing. The reader can already tell it's not going to be nice for Mr. White. So, uh, Morris leaves and the Whites are left with the monkey paw. and Mr. White's first wish is 200 British pounds, which today would be about 24,000 British pounds and about 30,200 US dollars. So, that's quite a bit of change, but I feel like uh, myself, I'd probably ask for a little bit more. Then, that night, After wishing for the money, Herbert's staying up watching the fire die out, and he feels, or he believes, that he sees a monkey's face in the soot. The next day, Herbert leaves for his work at a local factory, and then later on that day, a factory employee comes home to inform the Whites that Herbert had died. He'd been killed in an accident with a machine at work. What was the compensation for the accidental death of their son? You got it. 200 British pounds. A few weeks after the funeral, A grief-stricken and almost half-insane Mrs. White begs her husband to wish her son back to life. And Mr. White doesn't really support the idea, but as he's grabbing the magical paw, he gets a bad premonition about what's about to happen. So again, foreshadowing, right? The reader at this point probably thinks, what is this guy? What else can they ask for, really? I mean, their son just died. Uh, Mr. White begrudgingly makes the wish for his son to return. It's almost like he knew it was a bad idea. But he still did it anyways at the insistence of his wife. But poor lady, she's grief-stricken. So after he makes the wish, the house is silent. The author builds tension and suspense by describing the creaking of the stairs, uh, the sound of a mouse stirring below after the husband wishes for Herbert to come back to life. So that's his second wish. And they wait quietly, they wait quietly. Finally, a knock came at the door. Now Mr. White, who was still downstairs, freaks out and runs back up to his room. But the knocking continued. He tries to restrain his wife, but she keeps shouting about her son, how much she misses him, and that it's her son coming back. She finally breaks free. She tries to open the door, but the only reason she can't is because she can't reach the latch. And she keeps shouting for her husband to come downstairs and help her, but he's upstairs trying to find the monkey paw. So at this point, the reader can tell that Mr. White kind of regrets getting involved in this whole crazy thing. He finally finds the monkey paw as he's hearing the scraping of the chair, being dragged across the floor, the wife is taking it to the door so she can step on it and reach the latch. Just as he's hearing the door open and the bolt sliding across to let it open, he makes his third and final wish. Just then, a cold gust of wind comes into the house and nothing else. Even talking about it now still sends chills down my spine. The way he described it in maybe a four or five sentence paragraph, it it just stays in your mind and he just describes... The flickering of a lamp outside on the uh, desolate streets are just completely empty and he and his wife are looking out the door and it reveals that he knew whatever was coming back wasn't his son so that was one of the greatest supernatural type short stories and i'm sure your students will get a kick out of it as well next short story number four a retrieved reformation by o henry again this one's about a uh, thief and safe cracker by the name of jimmy valentine so he just got out of prison And there's a bunch of robberies going on. There's a detective named Ben Price, who's working on the case, and he suspects it's Jimmy again. It just, you know, it looks like his work. Jimmy arrives to Elmore, Arkansas, and he's scoping out the town bank, planning on robbing it. Then he sees the daughter of the banker, Annabelle, and he falls in love with her. He decides to give up his life of crime, try to straighten himself out, and then takes on the new name of Ralph Spencer. And he claims to be a shoemaker, since that's what he had been doing in prison. After some time, Jimmy finally turned his life around, he, com- he completely changed, he was the man he wanted to be, and he was finally engaged to Annabelle. That's too much of an easy story to end there. You know, oh, Henry's not going to disappoint like that. So, time goes by, and he finally tells a friend, Jimmy tells, uh, yeah, he writes a letter to his friend, and he says, I'll be sending you my tools uh, to break in the safes, I don't need them anymore, basically. He's really turned over a new leaf he shows up to the bank while everyone's there Annabelle her her family her father but he doesn't know that Detective Price is there too so they have a vault inside the bank somehow or other one of Annabelle's nieces gets stuck in there and there's no combination there's no way to get the vault open so Jimmy who was carrying his tools that he was going to send off to his friend remember he's trying to live a clean life he just so happens to have those tools when Annabelle's niece gets stuck inside the safe so he's now torn with a moral dilemma does he reveal who he is jimmy valentine the infamous safe cracker or ralph spencer the nice shoemaker who's engaged to the lovely annabelle so he's struggling with this conflict internally which is awesome for the reader and just you know just a great literary uh, tactic and so he opens a safe while everyone's watching in awe especially annabelle she thinks you know it's this shoemaker and here he is cracking up safes like nothing so he finally lets the little girl out everybody's happy jimmy's trying to leave the bank but then he notices detective price at this point something happens to jimmy he decides it's not even worth the run anymore so he turns himself into detective price now here's the plot twist that o henry's known for detective price comes face to face with jimmy valentine and he just pretends not to know him and then walks away it's almost like he redeemed himself in detective price's eyes Which is, I mean, just awesome. Imagine that. You live a life of crime. You finally give it up. And then out of the love for your family and the goodness of your heart, you're drawn back into it one last time for a good purpose. You know, he saved that little girl's life. And then he gets, you know, rewarded in the end with his freedom. And last but not least, number five. It's an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge by Ambrose Bierce. Uh, It tells the story of a civilian named Peyton Farquhar. He is sentenced to hanging for attempting to destroy the Owl Creek Bridge which is uh, under control of the Union Army. So he was a Confederate supporter. This takes uh, place during the American Civil War. So as he's being walked out to the bridge to be hanged, he's just, you know, thinking about his family, his lovely wife and kids and home. And as he's stepping on the ledge, the noose is tied around him. He's already blindfolded. uh, He starts thinking back of how everything worked. It's almost, it's a flashback. So he flashes back to where... He remembers a Union soldier who is in disguise, by the way. He's an undercover Union soldier setting him up. He's telling him to go destroy the bridge um, and, you know, help us out on the Confederacy. He goes over there. He gets caught. It's, It's a lure. It's a trap. He gets caught and he's sentenced to hanging. So as he's thinking there, he finally feels like he's falling, right? The soldiers let him go. He's just waiting for the snap of his neck. There's a snap, but it's not his neck breaking. It's the rope breaking. All of a sudden, he plunges into the water. Somehow, he manages to get his hands free, and he looks back, and he can see the soldiers, you know, in a rush, getting off the bridge, trying to chase him down. They're also shooting at him. So, he swims downstream. He's able to get out. He's able to avoid fire. So, you know, that's a pretty incredible escape. He starts running home. Now, remember, he lives far away from this bridge, so it takes him a while. He's running all day, it says in the story, and all night. And it's kind of unclear whether he actually falls asleep or if he just starts hallucinating or if he passes out. But when he comes to, supposedly, you know, as much as you're told as a reader, when he regains consciousness, he actually sees his house. So his spirits lift up and actually he can see his wife from where he is. So that just, you know, excites him and makes him happy. He's going to get to see her again. So he starts running towards her. And just when he's about to embrace her, he feels a sharp pain in the back of his neck. Snap. It's a snap of the rope. It turns out this had all been in his head. And so all that happened, all the escape, the noose breaking, him breaking free, swimming downstream, running home, and just about to embrace his wife, that was all an illusion And the milliseconds, the tiny, tiny time frame that it took from him being let go off the ledge until the snap of the rope against his neck. That was an ending that really hit me like a ton of bricks, and I still remember it to this day. And actually, there's a great black and white uh, film on YouTube that was an adaptation for the story on film, and it's it does a great job of portraying it. I'll make sure to link it in the show notes so you can go access it and watch it and even share it with your students. As always, we recommend viewing it first just to make sure it's appropriate for the audiences. So those were the five best, most engaging short stories for secondary English language arts that we could come up with. If we think of any other ones that really are so good they have to be shared, we'll turn it into a series, in which case this one will become part one. Thank you again for always listening, teachers. We appreciate all you do. Thank you again for tuning in, and if you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, share, and consider leaving a review. It really does help. We make resources for teachers by teachers. Check us out at ShiningScholarEducation.com and at our Teachers Pay Teachers store as well. We'd love to hear from you, so email us at shiningscholareducation@gmail.com at gmail.com to share any questions or topics you'd like on the show. Thank you for all you do, teachers, and keep changing the world.